scusi. Rabbit a boopy? Peter, what are you doing? Speaking Italian. What have the Romans ever done for us? I'm French. Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? Ask what you were expecting to see out of a talky hotel bedroom window. I am from Barcelona. You're listening to the Get Lost Podcast, inspiring travel with Jamo and Scorcher. Episode four of the Get Lost Inspiring Travel Podcast. Thanks to Qatar Airways. Scorcher, good to see you. Jamo, good to see you. It's been a while since we've actually sat down and recorded a podcast together, so you've been travelling. I have, mate. I have. I, uh, I had the um, absolute pleasure of getting over to Myanmar, uh, previously known as Burma, um, to uh, to suss out a little island resort down south and then get down to Inlay Lake to do oh, a nice. hot air balloon over the lake. Of course, of course. Yeah. What was the island? Uh, the island was Ape Pila. Ape Pila. Down in the Magui Archipelago. You're just making this up. I'm They're not. not. real places, are they? They are real places. In the Magui what? Archipelago. Okay. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know. I didn't archipelago, go. Archipelago. Archipelago. I'm yeah, going yeah, with Archipelago. Yeah. Um, phenomenal part of the world. Um, absolutely phenomenal, in fact, though, that island, that island group. Okay. It uh, reminds me of what I imagine... Uh, say the Thai islands were of Koh Phangan, Koh Samui, yeah, and Koh yeah, Tao yeah. were before anyone got there. Just pristine beaches, and uh, you know, the, the local Mokan people are, are fantastic, which we'll hear about a bit later on from from Mitch Hawkins, who's the recreation manager down on that particular resort. He's got a great story. Um, but yeah, just a, a really cool part of the world down oh, that there. That sounds absolutely magical. How do you get there? Is it? Uh, we flew in with uh, the guys at Thai Airways, flew yep. us up to Bangkok, Bangkok up into Yangon, mm-hmm. uh, which I know you've been to. Yes. Uh, and then Yangon uh, down into the Maguis and a boat, two hour boat trip out to this particular island. Fantastic. Yangon. See, I always I would prefer the old name, Rangoon. It sounds much more romantic, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it does when you <laughs> say it that way. Yeah, it does. Yangon. Uh, no, that I, was good. I liked Yangon yeah, too. Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. a cool city. It, it had a bit of grit to it. It didn't have a lot of uh, tourist sort of stuff. I mean, there's some great things to see. The the Gold Pagoda, the Schwedegon Pagoda, pagoda was, was phenomenal, especially as the sun set and the light reflects off it. That was magic, but uh, a great nightlife. They've got a brand new craft beer uh, set up there called Burbit, uh, which is a hybrid of Burma Britain. Oh. Uh, go with that. But you don't actually really need to drink craft beer there because, and this takes us to Get Lost, the essential travel podcast. I'm going to drink a lot of beer and stay out all night. Beer of the month. Mm, beer. The beer of the month this year. This year. Hang on. This year. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go all out. This oh, year. Wow. This year is Myanmar Lager. Okay. It was phenomenal. It yeah, was I'd... such a good, refreshing lager. Yes. No, I, I sucked down a few uh, Myanmar lagers when I was there on the, the Irrawaddy. <laughs> now, I've got to say, um, you know, we always talk about you know Southeast Asian beers. You know, Beer Lao, we talked about yep. the other day being the number one beer. I, I reckon Myanmar's taken it over. Uh, as just and I'm, you know, as far as beer taste goes, it was it was just terrific and a great story behind it. A great story behind it in that um, uh, Carlsberg, who were a big brewer, obviously throughout Southeast Asia, um, came over to Myanmar when it started to really open up about mm-hmm. ten years ago, uh, and found this perfect water source for beer. So I thought, oh, hang on, boys, we're onto something here. Uh, and they built a brewery over this water source and started pumping out, they reckon, the best Carlsberg uh, flavoured beer that they've ever, ever made. Right. 
Uh, and sadly, uh, as is the way in Myanmar, the military came in and said, you they know what? That, yeah. yeah, they do that. That, that beer's pretty good. Uh, goodbye, Carlsberg. And threw them out. Really? Got rid of them, but kept the brewery going, rebranded the whole thing as Myanmar Lager, and have been churning it out ever since. So I think from memory, they started 2007, Myanmar Brewery. Correct, quite I... recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, wow. Do okay. you know what? So recently that I could not find an I Love Myanmar Lager t-shirt in the entire country. <laughs> really? I, I'm telling you now, I could not find one. Because beer loud t-shirts are everywhere. Everywhere. If, if, if someone someone sets one up over there, they will make a fortune. And they've got to have a, a good jingle like this. You can get it climbing the Shwedagam Pagoda. You can get it swimming the Magui Archipelago. <laughs> <laughs> a matter of fact, <laughs> I got it now. Myanmar Lager. <laughs> Shredagon Pagoda, because it is the symbol of Yangon, isn't it? So you obviously went and, and checked it out. You could probably have a beer there. I actually read that um, there's some of Buddha's hair in there. So Is that right? Well, apparently. So apparently two merchants were traveling and uh, they returned to Burma with strands of his hair and, and put it inside. But how would you go about getting Buddha's hair? Just with some scissors when he's not looking, just go, reek. What concerns me, uh, Scorcher, is my recollections of Buddha is he had no hair on his head. I know. So, so <laughs> where have they got I, it from? I don't know where that hair's come from, but uh, I didn't hear that. I, I would have had a closer look, I guess, when I was at the pagoda there. Um, but oh, I, I love the Angana. Oh, it could be the Shwedagan pube goda. Seriously, <laughs> this is not supposed to be so blokey. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, oh. My God. Uh, i tell you what I liked about Yangon. Yes. Is all roads... At the end of the night, lead to 19th Street, uh, which is a, a strip uh, of shops and bars and local restaurants. Oh, it's a street food sort of strip, isn't it? Street food yeah, strip yeah, yeah. with great uh, crates of, of Myanmar lager and fantastic uh, local food being dished out and about with a, you know flashing lights and some cool bars. And it yeah. just it reminded me of, of what potentially Kosan Road may have been yeah, like back in the 50 day. years ago. Yep. Uh, and a lot of fun. Everyone welcoming you in to sit with them and eat. And I found the, um, the Burmese just so, so friendly. Just, yeah. just, no, um, uh, they just weren't blunted by too much tourism and they were really happy to, to engage with you. Well, you say that. I think I saw in your Instagram story you met a guy on 19th Street who said, you've come here to die. Is that right? Or? Yeah, that was, that was these uh, lunatic <laughs> Japanese guys who'd been okay. living there for, uh, for, for about, um, they'd been there for 20 years or whatever, and they made me eat a bug. Uh, oh, yes, that's I, right. Now, yeah, I, I, thought, I, I, I thought the bug had come off his plate, and I'm, I'm still hoping that it was, and he'd ordered it himself. He hadn't just scooped one off the floor and gone, let's make this giant bald Aussie guy eat a bug. <laughs> Um, but they were terrific. Sat with them, and that was his, that was his play on our accent. He was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you do. You say to die, to die." And I was like, "What?" He said, "You come here to die," uh, and he was saying, "Today, today is right. the way we say to die, to die, to die. right, to die, okay. mate, to die, mate." Was his way. It was fantastic. <laughs> now, did you get to Bagan in Myanmar? We didn't. No. Oh no, oh, I know. I heard good it's spot. Spectacular. Yeah, fantastic spot. That was probably one of my favourites. They got ten thousand temples and pagodas up there. I went to every one, of course, and, uh, and checked them all out, all 10,000 of them. Yeah, you know, you, you just uh, hire a motorbike, had the wife on the back, scooting around them. You, you can climb. It's just amazing. You wouldn't be able to do these kind of things in Australia because you can climb up them, sit there for sunset, get a Myanmar lager and just watch the sun goes down. It's such a magical place. I absolutely loved it. I've heard that. The, the guys that, um, that took me over there, it was, a, it was a work trip. 
uh, were the, the company that run balloons over Bagan. Oh, yes. Um, which is you know, one of the things that you have to do Iconic when you're there. Iconic sort of image of Bagan. Did, you, did the... you do the balloons? No, we didn't, didn't do, do a it. balloon. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah well, so. I was there to do the balloons over <laughs> Inlay, which was a new thing that they've launched where you get, get in your hot air balloon and you float over Inlay Lake, which was phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunately, the weather wasn't good the morning we were supposed to do it. So we uh, we got to watch the balloons go over the following day as we were leaving. But oh, no. uh, I imagine it would be an absolutely <laughs> incredible experience. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, what a couple of losers we are. The two ballooning trips you're supposed to do in the end, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't do didn't them. Go. Well, I stayed at the Sanctum Inlay Resort when I went there. Yeah. Um, that was just a phenomenal place. It looks like a Benedictine Abbey. It uh, looks incredible right on the lake. Um, you can relax, but if you want to hire a boat and head into the lake and and see how they live on the lake. It's just phenomenal, isn't it? I'm it sure is. you did that. We did. I love the – it's it's like a, a free – the main freeway. Yeah. Uh, with all the boats thundering along this sort of uh, lake. Through the reeds? Lake fr- free, uh, freeway down one, one particular side. Yeah. And then as you get to the overwater villages, they slow down and you go into the, the streets of the village, which are all obviously water, mm. uh, and then park around and motor through. And then on the outside, you can see the freeway going through. It, it really was like a, a road – uh, connection, connecting roads that you'd normally see here, yeah, yeah. but just all water, um, and and you know the bars and restaurants and <sighs> shops and things all over water. So you get yeah. on off your boat and explore. It was I really I really liked Inlay Lake a lot. Yeah, no, I think Myanmar is such a such a great place to go. And nowadays it's easy to get to. It's safe. It's it's a fantastic it destination. We would be remiss not to mention that there is some some horrific uh, things going on there um, with what's happening Still, with the Rohingya yeah. people yep. there. Um, my particular uh, position on that is, um, from a tourism perspective, uh, the locals there aren't part of what that military regime are doing. No. Unfortunately, yes, they, could they do something more about it? I doubt it over there. And so tourism, I think, does still allow money to get down into into the local yes. areas, which I think is really important. Definitely. So there is, unfortunately, a bit of a pull over the whole uh, thing with what's going on there, yep. but I think tourism certainly uh, goes through that and gets out to the local people and helps the local community. So yeah, spend local when you're there. So, you know, stay in local hotels, give exactly. your money to, to people on the street and yeah. and eat on the street, and you you know it's going to do some good. Exactly. So Myanmar Lager, the beer of the month, and got us talking about a fantastic destination, which I really do think people should get to to have a look at. Love it. Get there. It's the- Top five best destinations for food. Number five, Scorcho. What do we got? What have we got in at number five, Jammer? You've picked uh, Italy, which I've had a complicated relationship. You are the only bloke I know know that has said you had bad food. In Rome. In in Rome. I couldn't believe it. What about Italy? (sighs) Nothing springs to mind. Mm. I've been there a few times, which is, to be fair, when I was in the Cinque Terre, it... Had some fantastic seafood linguine down there. That was mm. that was really good. So eating eating in the restaurants there, but you just really got to get away from the touristy places. I think, and and I think it's my fault. It's definitely not Italy's fault. It's my fault for not doing my research, going in there. I, I think I just got lazy, especially in Rome, because I, I went as a backpacker. You know, I didn't have right. that much money. It's just so you're basing Rome on. Well, no, no. Look, I'm not judging. Laughing I'm, cow I'm... cheese and bread. <laughs> if you're a backpacker, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I just. I just was lazy. I sort of went into what was close and... 
Yeah, I did say Rivadachi to Italian food, but look, I don't know how. I, I know. I, I thought it was phenomenal there, and, and I, I want to do a food trip there now. I'm going to I'm going to rectify the situation. Well, one of the best things we did was take advantage of the hotel we stayed at, the G Ruff Hotel, which we've spoken oh, about before, yeah, yeah. Um, which was one of the coolest. Uh, hotels I reckon I've ever stayed in. It was almost like f- apartments on its own little piazza there, uh, just off the piazza, the Nova, the main one there. Uh, and piazza in Navona. Navona, that's the one. Thank you. Uh, and it, uh, the concierge there, uh, renowned for um, getting you into the local areas. Uh, and it's the only it's the only hotel I've ever left and given the concierge a hug when we left because they were just like family. Serious? Yep, yep. And she, she would take literally walk us around to a friend of theirs <clears throat> local restaurant and, and you'd just have the most beautiful, you know, Italian foodies. You'd have a pasta to start, then a yeah. main and um, just the bread and cheese. Everything's so simple but so well constructed and, and you know, a great bottle of wine. I, I absolutely love the food there. Yeah, well, I'm going to get back because Melbourne, we do some outstanding Italian food in this city. It's just it's fantastic. So I'm going to go back over there. I'm going to make my make peace with Italy and uh, oh, <laughs> get some to. good food. You need to. It's a great culinary destination. Number four. Number four. You've put India, Jamo, on the list. Yeah, I, I, I am a massive fan of Indian food. So am I. Um, the more the better. It's great scoffing food. You know, what I, you know what I really love? Yeah. I love an Indian breakfast. A budgie breakfast with yep. yogurt and dip and oh, 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 it's <laughs> such a good potatoes. It's yes. such a great breakfast to get you going in India. Love Abs- it. Absolutely. So where have you been in India? Uh, a few places. I spent a bit of time in Mumbai. Yep. Um, rode a, a motorcycle with a mate of mine um, down from Mumbai down to Kerala, so right yeah. down the east coast. Lovely. Um, and, you know, some of the, the best uh, memories for me are parking a motorbike, staying in a stilted hut on a sandy beach playing cricket with the locals as the sun's a big orange sunset goes down most of them were chuckers i have to admit they needed some practice in keeping an arms straight but uh and and having a, a local curry sort of handed up from the little restaurant of the yeah. the bungalow area and a cold kingfisher beer and it was yeah it was beautiful and such good curries well i think i'm planning on going to varanasi this year or oh, sorry not this year next year um, I've been to Delhi, which was fantastic. You love Delhi. And yeah, and went to Ladakh in the north, which is near the Himalayas. Very jealous of that trip you did. That was fantastic. That was with uh, Abercrombie and Kent. So yep. we sort of did it in style, which is probably not what everyone experiences when they go to India, but it was absolutely fantastic. And Ladakh, well, I actually had lunch there with the king. Of course, as you so, do. Yes. A&K. Elvis Elvis was there, was he? <laughs> That's the kind of access you get yeah. uh, with, with A&K. So we actually dined with the king. So we were having things like mutton curries and naan breads. So that was fantastic. Uh, Delhi was good too. If people are uh, heading to Delhi, the Spice Root uh, restaurant in the Imperial Hotel is, yeah. is really good. Um, I've got to say, talking what you mentioned before about India, yeah. um, and you know, people can go there and you can take 10 grand and go and live there for a year if you really want, but you can also do it as you've done it. Um, in style, and yeah. Abercrombie and Kent, they do do that very well. If it, and India is a place that you can do, you know, and really raj it up and, uh, and, and you know, stay in those beautiful old colonial hotels yeah. that are, are done so, so well. It's, it's a, it is a real contrast in India. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's number three? Uh, number three, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw Mexico uh, into the mix. I haven't been. I, I really enjoyed the food in Mexico. I mean, very simple. Billy Conley does a great joke on Mexican food saying it's just all the same thing, whether a, a taco and a burrito is just a taco not cooked and, and the same stuff. 
but had a taco. I, I had a I had grasshopper uh, guacamole in uh, what? in Oaxaca. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which was phenomenal. Um, I, I just found the food really simple. Great, fresh, heaps. Obviously, great guacamole. Um, yeah, yeah, really good. The cheese it, from the cheeses in Oaxaca were were outstanding. I've never um, met a taco I didn't like. There you go. Yeah. It's great. It's really good food. Well, I as part of uh, my other job working at a radio station, we interviewed a um, Mexican chef on on the program recently, yep. and he just said. The tacos for any time of the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's like going for a coffee. So over there, they'll say, do you want to go for a taco? Yeah. And they're cheap, they're delicious, they're simple, just a really staple food of the oh, country. Oh, yeah, and it? the street food there, in, in, even in, in Puerto Vallarta, you get to the little taquerias uh, on, the, on the side of the street there and just, you know, hoe into a burrito. or They're, they're so good, really and, good food. And in Mexico City as well, I think they've got some of the, you know, the top restaurants in the world as well, so they've got a really diverse uh, food scene. They do. I ate snails, and oh. snails, I reckon, is one of those meals where there should only be a few of them. If you order <laughs> snails as a meal and a bowl turns up and there's about 120 of them in there... <laughs> it's, it's right. There's just too many snails. Uh, but we ate them in the restaurant. I forget the name of the restaurant, but yeah. it was there's a hole in the roof where the Pancho Villa, the great Mexican bandito, had fired a bullet into the roof after, oh. I don't know whether it had too many, too many snails, snails or, <laughs> or what. But, uh, well, you just threw the snails through the roof. Yeah, the food, the food there was great. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, number two. Number two. Oh, number two is Peru and Argentina. It's we couldn't a tie. Split them. We couldn't split them. Oh, I loved eating in Buenos Aires. I had an absolute magnificent time there. It's super, super cheap. You can we used, we'd go out. We'd get two steaks, bottle of Malbec, some empanadas, some provolone cheese. It cost us thirty-five Australian dollars. That's yeah, phenomenal. It's absolutely great. I mean, Argentina is all about meat, isn't it? Have you been yeah, to? Buenos I have. Yeah, yeah, but only really briefly. So. Okay. I didn't. I didn't eat enough when yeah. I was there. I don't think I really gave it what it should. I drank enough, but uh, <laughs> I didn't. Didn't eat enough. I, no. did, I had one night out on the big steaks, and, and yeah, it was great. Well, if you go back, go. To, I recommend you go to a place called Don Julio, which is a Parisia, which is a, a steak restaurant. Um, there's also a place called Las Cabras in Palermo, which we stayed. It's probably not the top restaurant in Buenos Aires by any stretch, but we went there. It, there was a menu, wasn't in English. We just sort of took a bit of a punt. Everything arrived. Really, it's just a buzzy, fantastic atmosphere. Everyone's just having a good time, sucking down Malbec. It's nice. just fantastic. Really, really enjoyed that. And how does it compare to Peru? So Peru is, I think it's been voted the number one culinary country for a couple of years running. It now. has. It, it continually cleans up. And I haven't been to Peru, but it yeah, the gastronomic winner of the World Travel Awards for ridiculous number of times. Yeah, Peru for me is all about ceviche. It's a real fusion cuisine, so they've got influences from uh, obviously South American, but also Japanese and you know even German and things yep. like that. So it's really diverse. I remember the first time we we landed in Cusco, uh, went straight out for dinner. Anita, and my wife, had some llama. Wow. Yeah. And I How think was it? That re- I, don't know, I don't know if the llama went down too well. but <laughs> Did she know when she ordered it or yeah, halfway yeah, through? Yeah, she was like, wow, this is interesting. It... What is it? And they went, llama. No, but I, I, I guess it's just like lamb or mutton, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, but no, it's... <laughs> guinea pig? No, guinea pig. Koi. Is koi. What, yeah, I saw them cooking koi on the side of the road. Didn't, and, didn't, uh, didn't nibble no, on one? Do you know what? I should have done it. Um, yeah. I'm pretty adventurous with my food. I wouldn't have a problem eating guinea pig. I know I probably shouldn't say I, that these days, but I I didn't try it, and I probably should have. I was uh I was in um 
in <laughs> that was in Svalbard. Yeah, uh, guinea pig in Svalbard. No, no, oh. I ordered the fish of the day. And halfway through, I said to the waiter, wow, this fish tastes meaty. What is it? Yeah, he's whale. Oh. It's like, oh, man, really? Yeah, whale. What, but, oh, what kind of whale do you know? Uh, it would have been a minky Where of some sort. Yeah. I reckon they've got so many of them up Fatty there. But and blubbery. It was, well, it was just quite thick and dense. Okay, um, oh. Right. But yeah, look, look, it was doused in some you know Norwegian sauce, but uh, it tasted good. But I felt a little bit uh, guilty <laughs> little after bit. that. But well, no, it was fish of the day. It wasn't yeah. like I'd order it off some you know special menu. Well, the fish of the day you're going to get in Peru is ceviche, so which yeah. is cured fish, um, salmon often with um, some corn and um, some crime tiger milk, which is lots of lime, so it's cured. I love that. Ceviche is such a good dish. Yeah. So I'd eat that any day of the week. So we couldn't split Peru and Argentina, but number one. Number one. Vietnam. Oh, yes. I'm going. <laughs> We're going with Vietnam. Viet- um, and we no. both agreed on this, didn't we? Yes. Oh, Vietnam. Since I, I still remember the first bowl of pho I ever ate. What's it called, sorry? Pho. 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 That's what it's called. Not pho. <laughs> Far. 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 That's not far. What, what is it? Far. So, you got to get, get the pronunciation right. Far. Far. It's not right either. I've got to <laughs> tell you, I try and order fur with my uh, my in-laws and I'll go to the restaurant and say, can I uh, have a bowl of fur? And they'll okay. look at me like, what are you talking about? And then my father-in-law will go, oh, he'd like a bowl of fur. And they're like, oh, you said fur. I said, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> um, so it's all the intonation, but yeah. And when I ate it, I this was my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and everyone in the restaurant looked at you like you were uh, odd. Yeah. I still remember the first time, I think I first went to Vietnam in about 2007. I remember walking down sort of a dusty road, having some fur <laughs> by, by the side of the road. I, I'm sure I may have had it in Melbourne before jetting off, but I, I just remember sitting there eating it going, this is sensational. Yeah. Just a simple noodle soup. It was great. Oh, this is probably the fact that I was in Vietnam. I was overseas. I was, you know, traveling. But I just, I still recall, still brings me back to that dusty little yeah. street vendor. It's in, such a great flavor. Yeah. And it's a breakfast meal yeah. there. I, I love a bowl of fur for breakfast. It's, it's so, so good. But Vietnam, it's all about street food, isn't it? It is. It is. I remember being uh, up recently, uh, start of this year, um, the, the gang at Anantara have just opened a brand new property in a new area in the middle of Vietnam called Quy Non. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just opened an airport there. So well worth for those who've spent a bit of time in Vietnam and haven't been to that part of it. Uh, untouristy, Quy Non is a really pumping local town, fishing yeah. sort of village area. Uh, and then Anantara's property there is just stunning. Um, and then we did a food tour that the Anantara took us on through through the main town of Quy Non. And we ended up in one of these you know local restaurants that you'd, you'd walk past and go, mm. well, I don't know if I'd, I'd go in there. And But you go in and it, you know there's stickers on the wall and flies around the place and the kitchen's at the front of it with these pots cooking and... We had the banzi, the the pancake yep. uh, that they make there, and they you wrap up your uh, prawns and lettuce and, and wrap it all up and, and bean yeah. shoots in in, in a, what is essentially a pancake, yeah. deep fried pancake, and dip it. Oh, it was so good, scorcher! Such good food. I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know that's just scratching the surface. Yeah. You know, you end up in one of those food markets in in Hanoi or yep. in the back streets, as you said, of of Ho Chi Minh City, just. 
Um, and just, you, you, the best thing I think to do um, in Vietnam is let them order for you. Yeah. You know, just go, listen, I want seafood or I want this and just say, look, bring it on. Absolutely. Um, but maybe mention that you want to stay away from the innards and offal and some of the stuff that, yeah. <laughs> that might upset you if you see it floating in your soup. But, uh, but oh, yeah, Vietnam, it just blows your mind when it comes to food. Is there anything better in life than a banh mi? No, no. Seriously, that is, yeah. the, that is the knockout heavyweight champion of sandwiches, isn't it? That it, is it is just... So good. It's, it's, you can't improve on it. It's fantastic. Vietnam, oh. Vietnam, number one. I would like to shout out yeah. to and apologise to Taiwan. Uh, oh, their food is the fantastic. Didn't make the list and, and was very close, but they're a lovely fusion of good Chinese yeah. and great Japanese food all mixed in. Uh, Damo's just shot out with France. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, France, potentially. Um, yep, France, yeah, is, is up yeah. there. Sorry, France. Yeah, we'll apologise to them too. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> Thailand, China. Thailand missed out. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll leave China on the side, I reckon. Okay. Yeah, but uh, that's me personally. But Japan. Japan, yeah. What happened to Japan? I, I haven't been. It's, you didn't put it on the list. Well, Japan should be We're going to have to make it a top 10. I'm getting rid of, who can get rid of? Get rid of Mexico. I'm, <laughs> I'm replacing Mexico with Japan. <laughs> All right. All righty. So straight from the mag, Jamo, this yeah. is where you feature an article or a topic from the Get Lost magazine. Correct, yes. And we're going from our uh, issue 61, which looked at off-the-grid experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not an off-the-grid experience. This is uh, <laughs> one of our hot fives. <laughs> right. uh, direct. And our hot five was um, uh, thrill experiences. Uh, and this particular one was out of Las Vegas and you think when you go to Vegas, if you're going to get filthy, dirty and uh, and grotty and adrenaline pumping, you'd think probably something else. But this dune buggying in the Mojave Desert was just oh. extraordinary. There we go. It was an unbelievable thrill. I, I, I was a little <laughs> bit dubious when we went out there. It's about an hour out. Uh, and you go out uh, to this sort of dusty old camp with all these souped up June buggies and there's mm. a dude in overalls with one, one button undone in his overalls with he looked like Jeff Lebowski and he's come <laughs> out, he's like, All right guys, we're gonna have some fun today, okay? And you're like, Yeah, okay. And I was I was expecting just to to sit in this June buggy and and you know, have a row of people and we'd be following the Bat League Big Lebowski around and whatever. And basically he got us in, gave us a quick briefing and said, you know, just be careful because last week a bloke died doing this. And oh. you're like, okay, maybe this is going to be a bit more thrilling than I thought. So you just jump in, do your best. Well, then then the dude, the dude just takes off. And he he's just basically said, keep up with me. Wow. And you are gunning these dune buggies and flying through the Mojave Desert, going down these gullies and up these jumps. And it what? was it was literally unbelievable. I'll, I'll put a, a video on our Facebook page yeah, of myself yeah, yeah. and the New Zealand journo who was with me literally screaming with fear when the other one was driving because <laughs> you're just holding onto this thing as this lunatic is Kiwi is driving through the desert and then we'd swap over and I'd think, well, I'm going to have to to punish him even more. 
Well, is there any obstacles like cactuses or rattlesnakes there, or anything? There is cactuses. There's oh. there's rocks. There's you, you, you really you've got to have your wits about you. That and sounds awesome. It, it, it was <laughs> it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And you finish at this old saloon pub and have a great meal with a couple of craft beers. Uh, it, it was it was great. So like you did that after. You did, yeah, yeah, you definitely do it after, yeah. <laughs> Could have done it before, but um, but it was good. And so it raises the question, have yeah. you been to Las Vegas, Scorcher? I have, but I was about 10. So you're completely out of the conversation <laughs> now then. Exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe we can get your folks in and hear what they got up to I while you remember, were locked in your hotel room. I still remember being there with my folks and walking down the street. Vegas, Vegas. Average stay in Vegas is three days. Okay. Uh, two, and a, two and three quarters, actually. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's awesome. It, you've really got to, got to engage in it. I think you're about to tell me when, because you got absolutely blotto there, as you normally do when you travel. And, uh, Thanks, some... <laughs> Not so... a blokey show. <laughs> and, but there's a service where they'll come up to your hotel room and give you some hangover well, this, cures. This, is, those is listening, right? those listening who go to Las Vegas, uh, I did a story on a guy, Dr. Burke, who runs a business called Hangover Heaven, oh. and he is killing it there, making an absolute fortune. Pretty much, most people turn up to Vegas, they get caught up in the bright lights, demo. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> can lose. They're crazy minds. Yeah. Wake up in the morning and cannot function. Fear cannot, in Las Vegas and style. And they're like, I've, I've just, I don't want to ruin a day. What do I do? Hunter they call Thompson. Dr. Burke. In comes, uh, in comes Dr. Burke with his hangover heaven. It's amazing, this guy. He walks through uh, the lobby in full emergency garb, carrying his, his uh, box of goodies, comes up to your room, puts a drip in you, puts three or four bags of fluid into you, a few little pharmaceuticals, what? and he literally brings you back from the dead. What kind of pharmaceuticals? Uh, a bit of tramadol, a bit of uh, paracetamol, uh, anti-nausea stuff. He, uh, I'm, the, I'm no nurse. I just know that what he put into me Jesus. fixed me. And in fact, I, I had to test this guy out. So the day before Dr. Burke turned up, we hit a pool party, which is also something I think you should do. Uh, we went to the Wet Republic pool party, which is at the MGM Grand, where Prince Harry got in a bit of strife uh, <laughs> and basically got on the drinks there. Here's a tip when you are at a pool party in Vegas. Uh, they give you drinks that have a cap on it with a straw in it. There's a reason for that because generally you're drinking it while you're dancing in the pool. You do oh. not want that pool water splashing into no, your drink. that wouldn't be ideal. I didn't see many people leave the pool when they had to oh. Uh, so started there, they ended up at a bar called The Freakin' Frog, where the killers actually uh, got famous, and they've got 180 beers on tap there. So we kept pushing that. Now, I'm not making myself out to have a problem here, but I was trying to test out Dr. Burke the following day, so I had to make a mess of myself. <laughs> Freakin' Frog then told us they had the largest collection of whiskey in North America in the uh, attic room upstairs. Uh, sounds like some frightening <laughs> horror movie. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> My wife and I headed up there and proceeded to try a number of whiskeys yeah. uh, and just literally were trolleyed. Uh, anyway, Dr. Burke came up and within an two hours of his treatment, I jumped off the Stratosphere Hotel, which is that tower at the end of the strip in yeah. Las Vegas. They do a free fall from there. I woke up in the morning, could not move, could hardly speak. Three <coughs> hours later, I was jumping Jump off the Stratosphere, free falling. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Oh, that good. is Las Vegas. Well, I could have done with Dr. Burke when I was in Paris because uh, oh. oh, I don't know if I should say this. You lost a day, didn't you? 
Ah, oh, stuff it. Here we go. Um, so for Christmas, I bought my wife a trip to Paris. You know, lovely and romantic. <laughs> we hadn't been together all, all that long, a couple of years. So time arrives. I go to Paris. The night, well, we arrived, we went out to dinner and we both had a few drinks. I got a bit silly. When you say f- that, what? how silly did you get? Well, I remember we went down to this club and uh, these blokes we just kept buying us bottles of champagne. We were all just drinking champagne. It may have been a gay club. I don't know. But the, the next day, I woke up with the most savage hangover I've ever had in my entire life. Went down to breakfast. <laughs> I could hardly make it through breakfast. Had to go back up to bed. I felt so bad. My wife had to see Paris on her own. She's got pictures of the, her in the Eiffel Tower. Oh. Her on, on her own. All on her oh, own. Oh, no. I felt so oh, bad. She always reminds me of it. Remember when we went to Paris? Oh, that's right. You were in bed the whole time. Oh, so yeah. where was Dr. Burke then? You needed Dr. Burke. Another really good tip uh, yes. when you're there, Scorcher in Vegas, is to get off the strip and get downtown. Yep. Um, you've got uh, this fantastic old container park there with, with shops and bars and restaurants in there uh, and some really cool older bars, uh, one called Corduroy, which is like a dive bar but great rock and roll dive bar. They do pickle shots there that uh, will blow your mind. Mm-hmm. And another one just down the road from that is the Atomic Bar, which is famous for the old when the Rat Pack used to drink in, uh, in Vegas. He used to go down and sit on the roof uh, and put goggles on and watch the atomic testing in the distance and watch all the, the bombs going up. What, Dean Martin so, watching a bomb go off? That's right. Sit up there and uh, and drink cocktails at the atomic bar. He wouldn't have noticed, would he? He was so pickled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really, a really cool different experience yeah, to, yeah, uh, to the, the bright lights and craziness. Fantastic. Late Las Vegas, I'm going to have to go. Yeah. Back. Vegas is, is fun for, for three days. Pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you this month. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to, as I said earlier on in the show, Mitch Hawkins. Mitchy boy. Yep. Uh, Aussie guy who just loved chasing waves. Oh, uh, you said waves. And drifted, drifted his way up through Indo uh, into Thailand uh, and has found himself living on this tiny little island in the middle of the Magui Archipelago, mm-hmm. um, Awi Pila Resort. Uh pretty much just taking people around and showing them some of the amazing experiences you can have on the island. It's a really cool story. He's softly spoken. I'll just uh, throw that at the start. But he's a, a really relaxed, cool guy who has quite a, um, uh, a, a lovely story about how he's helped the local Moken uh, children who are the sea gypsies that live around these islands. And um, you can tell from Mitch's story that he, um, he's, got a, he's got a big heart. Take it away, Mitch. All right, we're sitting down here with Mitch Hawkins from Ally Pila Resort, deep in the midst of the Magui Archipelago. Mitch, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Uh, now, recreation manager on a beautiful deserted, well, des- almost deserted island except for this resort, give us a bit of a, a rundown of, of what you do here. Well, essentially my role is um, to connect people with their natural environment, uh, through trekking, bird watching, um, I introduced them to the Mokan people. Yeah, that was a great the experience. Local, the local fishing, fishing indigenous people of the area. Um, I also know a little bit about the local um, religion, if you like, yeah. Buddhism. Um, so, if people want to tour the temple, 
I can take them along and show them that if we don't have the local guide. So let's just wind this back a bit, Mitch, yeah. because we are really completely off the grid here. Um, you're a Melbourne guy originally, yeah. I believe. Yep. Um, you've spent a fair bit of time making your way through Southeast Asia uh, from the chats that we've had, or you've told us yeah. you're a bit of a wave chaser. That's right. Yeah, surfing is the, the main priority, and that's pretty much what brought me up to this area. Yeah, so you were just chasing deserted waves and this is where they are or? Always searching, always searching. So um, after spending time in Indonesia, yep. basically following the archipelago further north and further north as the, the crowds came. Yep. Um, after Bandar Aceh, it was a, a step back over to Thailand. I'd spent quite a lot of time in Thailand. So where are the waves in Thailand? Um, I can't tell you exactly, <laughs> obviously, but um, there is a couple of well-known places. Um, sure, they're not the quality of Indonesia, but yeah. um, places like Phuket, all along the west coast Okay. during certain times of the year, the monsoon season, which is the, the predominant southwest wind, um, a lot of people say is the best time for surf, but it's actually the shoulder seasons yep. um, when we get the northeast wind coming back, which is offshore, yep. combined with the long period swells coming from the Indian Ocean, the same ones that feed Indonesia, yep. um, places like Kaolak. Um, Phuket and further north into the the new zone, if you like, yeah. um, heading up towards Renong. Um, there is a wonderful island off the coast of Renong that has some great surf. Are you going to tell us the name of it? Uh, I'm sure you already know. <laughs> Kopayam is the name. Kopayam, uh, yes. Yep, I do know it. Yeah. A lovely base for several years for me and um, I had a wonderful time there and essentially it was the waves that got me there. Um, yeah. I've always visited Thailand, but when I found out this place has, I wouldn't say consistent surf, but it does have reasonably quality beach breaks, a couple of reef breaks. Myanmar we're talking about now? Well, we're just right next to Just north, north yeah, yeah. So Kopayam essentially sits at the bottom of the Mergwai chain. Right. The fact is it's just over the border in Thailand, so it's not recognised as part of the Mergwai, but they're all part of the same island chain. Yeah. And uh, with Myanmar being off limits for so long, I've always had a a keen interest to come up here and explore yeah. um, not only the, the nature but having spent the time on Kopayam and having got to know the local Mokan people, yeah. the indigenous people of this region, it sparked a real interest for me to come up and, and explore a bit more and, uh, and hence here I am, the opportunity came up to have a base yeah. here rather than just coming on boats short term yeah. and um, I've been yeah, very grateful to have been offered a, a position here and uh, where it will take me, who knows. Initially it was to come and set up some surfing, but now it's kind of combining all of my interests and, and little skills from building yep. little sort of boutique luxury style tents to playing in the jungle, collecting things off the beach that we can use for building to exploring it, to finding out what's around the next corner. Yeah, you've got an awesome job. I mean, I get up in the morning and walk out of my, my glamping yurt and you're down the end of the beach body surfing to start the day. It's a, it's a pretty good way to start. Um, surfers, historically, have been pioneers as far as travel goes. I mean, you look at what's happened to Bali and, um, and what's happened to other, other places like that. Um, you're obviously ahead of the curve by where you're moving. Is, is Myanmar the next hotspot? I mean, we had a run probably six or seven years ago where people were swarming in. Obviously, there's been some issues now uh, that has stopped a bit of tourism. But do you think with, with what you're doing, not that I would ever blame you for bringing in the masses uh, and ruining the pristine... Uh, side of what we've got here, um, but it is this island chain, is there an opportunity for tourism to really kick off and develop well? Um, 
Oh, for, for sure. For tourism, not so much surf tourism. Yeah. Because uh, similarly to Thailand, it is seasonal. And we are a little bit further north than Indonesia, so the consistency just isn't there. But certainly from a, a surfing point of view, it is one of the last frontiers that hasn't been explored. So um, just in the last couple of months I've been here, uh, I've found a few good little gems that I'm pretty sure no one has actually surfed yet. I do know of other surfers coming up here. Yeah. Um, but it is one of the last frontiers and uh, like all the other places where we were the, the trailblazers if you like we don't tell anyone you know, yeah. it's one of those things if you want to come and enjoy it you come and find out we're not going to be posting photos and uh, yeah. telling you where everything is and the numbers will be kept very limited and uh, and there's no guarantee you may come up here for a, a two week surfing trip and get totally scarped and not actually get a wave at all Yeah. Um, but that's more than the surfing that brings you here it's actually a chance to explore one of the last wildernesses on earth. And, um, well, just on that, I mean, some of the wildlife that you've told us about on this island um, is extraordinary. I mean, there was a, I think you mentioned that um, there were potentially elephants on some of the other islands around that they have swum across. They've, uh, I've seen pictures and footage in um, some of the wildlife magazines, whether or not they're still around. This was going back several years. Yeah. And I think it's on the islands further north. Um, but there certainly has been elephants. There's, you know, Wild cats, what they call the fishing cats. Because They're big, aren't they? They're they are a decent size. You yeah. Know? I don't know if you'd really want to come across one on your own, you know, in the in the night walking through the jungle. But tigers. They're, they're very timid. Well, I don't know about tigers, but the myth is the there, myth is. And, yeah. Uh, we'll keep it alive for now. It's a know? good one. Yeah. yeah. It, it stops people from roaming too much. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps the surf. Uh, but, yeah. Pristine, yeah. But, but certainly, um, having spoken having spoken to some ecologists and biologists that I know. Um, it is one of the last frontiers and there's still many things being discovered. Yeah. Um, on this island in particular, we have a little mouse deer. It's the smallest deer in the world. Um, we also have some wild pigs, but that are... I'm not sure if they're indigenous, indigenous to the area, but they were found on Payam and they're, they're a white, a, a very light-coloured pig, so they're essentially a white wild pig. Um, yeah. They're supposedly very tasty. <laughs> but the bird life is probably the most significant part of the wildlife around here and um, yeah so it's one of those places where seek and you shall find yeah it's still being discovered and a lot of the islands are essentially uninhabited um, and over time I think there will be more tourism but it is very limited and it will be kept limited yeah um, thankfully yeah just to, to finish off, one of the best stories that you told us was, um, was it the Moken children that you were teaching to surf? Yeah. yeah. Um, was just fantastic. So how did that come about? Was this in Koh Payam or was it up this, this way? No, this was on, over in Thailand at Koh Payam and uh, I was ex- extremely fortunate to um, meet, there's an Australian lady there, Fiona, Fiona Parsons, and a, another wonderful fellow from South Africa, Philip, who um, essentially they live with the Moken people and are helping guide them through what is a, a big transition period for them. They've had their livelihoods taken away um, through, well, the, the shutdown of the borders, if you like. Yep. 20 years ago, there was no regular border patrol between Myanmar and Thailand. And they were just, they just sea gypsies and they were just well, they're from the cruise sea. along. Yeah, yeah. They, they used to live on their traditional boats called a cabang yep. and uh, they would follow the seasons of the fish and the, and the weather, obviously. They would have little anchorages and little land bases but it, their life was at sea yeah they are stateless people they're not recognized by any country and so their movements are very limited 
but their life is the sea and they're incredible ocean people and um, yeah I was very fortunate uh, to have met these people and Philip was kind enough to bring them down one afternoon I offered you know said you can come and use the surfboards anytime yep. and they took up that offer and uh, it was a, a moment that I'll never forget that changed my whole outlook on surfing and um, we didn't have to show them anything in fact you know they saw the leg rope and went what do you need that for <laughs> and we're not planning on falling off so they, we detached the leg ropes and uh, they all paddled out they didn't need to be shown how to paddle or anything like that but their idea of surfing was sitting out the back waiting for the biggest wave and all catching it together and all yelling and hollering and dancing and even swapping boards and, first uh, run they're up. Much, first run I'm not kidding they were able to stand up they just knew what to do and um, obviously having grown up on boats they're yeah intuition for the timing of the wave and, and their balance is already there it's built in and um, yeah I looked at my good friend who was tight at the time and I just had this you know incredible sense of awe but also this emotional yeah okay look we've got surfing all wrong we sit out the back and we all wait for the biggest wave but we take it individually and we fight for it and we yeah. tell other people to get off just to see the sheer joy and uh, you know it, it was beautiful and it, it brought a tear to my eye and it, it changed my whole outlook on surfing after that so now for me surfing is about sharing and you know bringing people closer to nature through the ocean I mean when you're in the ocean you are completely engulfed by nature yeah you're, you're in it yeah you know you don't know what's underneath it what's underneath you and uh, but certainly the moping there is a hell of a lot to learn from them yeah and um, if we can keep their traditions somehow alive and this area in the Murgway is one of the last places where they are still able to do some fishing but that's limited the big fishing boats come through and clean everything out and um, their, their livelihood is totally being taken away but there's an opportunity I think for them to keep their life at sea by yeah. having things like surfing or maybe fishing tours and but also what we can learn from their knowledge of the land yeah. and, and the seasons and uh, how to actually live and be at one with nature is more important than us trying to impose our values and what we think is right upon them and as we've discovered we've got it wrong big yeah. time in the west and uh, um, I feel more at home living with these people than being surrounded by even just the local Myanmar people that have also been suppressed for so long but they have the biggest most beautiful heart in the world full stop they are by far the most genuine loving caring people and um, yeah I'm very privileged to be here Mitch Hawkins, fantastic story, mate. What a life. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, each episode, Jamo, we finish off with worst things heard by a tourist. What have you got for us this oh, episode? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here myself, Scorcher. Oh, no. My wife. Oh. Yeah. What'd she do? My wife. My oh. wife flew uh, this week to London yeah. uh, with her work, uh, business trip, so they flew a business class. Of course. Uh, lucky her. Yeah, uh, long lovely. trip. She's only there for five days, and she's a, she's a high flyer, mm-hmm. uh, as she tells me regularly. And I said to her, you know what? It's rare that we would ever be flying uh, business class on a full paid ticket. What if I give you some points and upgrade you to, to first class? Wow. Um, she said, that would be great, husband. Um, uh, I love you forever. And I said, sweetheart, not a problem. I was trying to make up for the fact that I'd been in Myanmar for nine days and, um, and get some points back. So I upgraded her and off she went uh, up, up there and came back said it was absolutely fantastic. I was talking to her after she, after she got back and I said, look, seriously, how much better was it? And she goes, you know, when I had to go back to business class from Singapore to Melbourne, had to go back to business class, she said, Justin, um, I, I just couldn't drink the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> no. I kid you not. 
<laughs> She's going to kill me for saying this because oh. it was uh, slightly out of context. But she said um, it was first class was so good. I said was the drinks and food better? She goes, oh, it was so much better. You know, when I when I had to go back to business class, I just couldn't go near the champagne. Oh, what is this Worse. Bollinger? Get this oh. out. Oh, <laughs> take it away. So uh, she'll kill me, but uh, yeah, that was uh, well, that's my worst thing heard by a tourist today. So mine comes from the world of the internet, and one of my favourite places on earth is Angkor Wat. I've, I think it's magnificent, it's awe-inspiring. I was just reading some of the reviews online for Angkor Wat. Overpriced dump. You pay a lot of money and the grass hasn't even been cut. Waste no. of time and money. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's Angkor Wat. What, are you, what no. more do you want? A bloke with a lawnmower. And this one. Not a good time place. A nice view, but very far away from Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> they want to move it closer to Bangkok. Do you know what's great about the bloke that wrote that review? <laughs> was he's probably signed up on Kosan Road for a tour of Angkor, Angkor Wat. Yeah. Going, you want to see? I really want to see yeah, Angkor Wat. Yeah, yeah, well, sign up for my tour. He signed up for this tour. Next, you know, he's on a bus, bus. for forty-two hours, getting down there. Halfway there, he's gone. There's a reason why this was so cheap. Oh, that's fantastic. There's only one sound effect, sound effect for that bloke who wrote the letter. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, oh dear. Man. Hey, that was fun, Jamo. Thank you so much. Look no forward worries, to chatting you. next time. Definitely. We'll see you then. See you then.